Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO for SB Live Sports. I'm your host, Dan Dickow, covering a number of topics, usually in the world of basketball. Today's guest. Uh, one of my favorite analysts in college basketball. He's done a tremendous job of growing his career. Somebody that when I sit down and watch a game, sometimes you want to be entertained. Sometimes you want to learn some things. Typically, when I listen to a game that he's calling, I hit both of these topics. So I want to welcome in Stephen Bardo. Stephen, appreciate you joining. Life must be busy for you these days with college basketball kicking up any day. Yeah, it is, Dan. I appreciate what you're saying and, and the, the love there. Thank you very much. I happened, I didn't share this with you, but uh, I called the Chicago Bulls Detroit Pistons game on the radio with Chuck Swirsky for the Bulls last night. So that was a blast. Chuck was actually a, a guest of uh, my podcast about two months back or so. I, I crossed paths with him during my playing careers and his passion for the game when he was with the Raptors was off the charts. So I guess that leads me to a different question than what I was planning on right away. Do you prefer college or the NBA? Because in my view, they're two completely different games. They really are, Dan. And I think just from, you know, having played in the NBA, you know, I had a couple stints, brief stints in the, in the league. And if you're a basketball player, the NBA is the top level, obviously. So anytime you, it, you get associated with the, the highest level of the game is something that's enjoyable. Uh, the pro game is a little repetitive to me, though. Um, it's all pick and roll. It, it's a copycat league. There, there's not a ton of sets that are being run anymore. And the game has kind of gotten away from a natural feel, in my opinion. So the mid-range game is still alive in college basketball. Um, there's passion. There's, you know, there's mistakes in the game. You know, these NBA guys, the difference that I say between college and pro, in college, the players make mistakes at the end of the games. In the pros, the players make plays at the end of the game. And that's one of the biggest differences. So I, I love, I mean, I was, a, I was a Chicago Sky WNBA announcer for five years. So if there's somebody playing basketball, somebody's willing to give me a check for it, I'm all about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you because whether it's calling a high school game, if I was offered or a division three, uh, a college game, which I'm obviously an analyst or even an NBA game, I I'm, I'm thrilled when I get offered to be paid to call and talk about the, the game that I love. That's a great point. I did not realize that you, you called games for the Chicago sky. They just recently won a WNBA title. A couple days ago, I released a conversation with Jackie Stiles, who was one of the pioneers of yeah. women's professional basketball. Yep. I, and this might sound bad, but when I, when, when I get so focused on my own career in NBA, 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 I had never really got a chance to watch how good some of those players in the WNBA are. You know, you obviously called games for a number of years. What stands out about that league to you um, when you look back on it? Dan, the women are much more athletic than they're given credit for. And I think what, get, what we get caught up, like people who love the game and fans who love basketball, they get caught up on dunking 
and playing above the rim and the athleticism. But when you watch these women play, they have really good athleticism in their own right. And they know how to play. Uh, the way they read the game, the way they react, uh, the passion and the desire, they have as much passion and desire to win games as anybody else playing. So, you know, I had a, I've got an older brother that's six years older and he played at Indiana uh, the year they won a national championship and he transferred uh, to the Citadel and finished out his career. My older sister, who's five years older than me, played junior college basketball and she used to wear me out growing up. I mean, wore me out. So I've always had mad respect for the women's game. And to be able to call the WNBA sky here in Chicago, like what people don't know, Dan, the WNBA is one of the best jobs in basketball because you're going to NBA cities, you're in NBA like venues. The ladies can flat out play. They're happy that you're there. They're happy that you're passionate about the game. The coaches give you all kind of access. So I love the WNBA and it was great to see the ladies win. Uh, a, a world championship here. The city really embraced them. It was fun to see. And I think the women need to get more shine on the game and, and, and what they bring to the game because, you know, uh, the guys that always say, man, how can you call women's basketball? I'll ask them, have you ever been to a WNBA game? Because if you haven't, you can't say anything. So, you know, that, that's what I always tell people. You're missing out on a, on a, a good brand of basketball if you're not watching the WNBA. You know, as I was growing my uh, college basketball analyst kind of resume and platform, I, I called a number of Division three games here in, in the Spokane area. And part of the prerequisite was I would call the men's game and I would call the women's game. And, and you're right in the, the fact that, um, you know, they have the same level of passion. They have the same level of work ethic and attention to detail. It is just a different game. But you talked about calling games for the, for the, the Chicago Sky. How long did it take you as a broadcaster to find your voice? Because there's a process to any career. You call college games, women's professional games. What was that process like for you finding your voice? That's a great question, uh, Dan. And here's the thing that I uh, am really passionate about, trying to get former basketball players into the sports broadcasting business, because the business is very similar to hoops. I mean, you got to get your reps. You know, for us to be able to look into the camera and to have natural expression and to say something very uh, insightful in the moment in a concise period of time, it takes practice, you know, and <clears throat> excuse me, there's no there's no magic pill or formula uh, that can get you that experience. So it's like going into the gym, shooting 500 to 1000 jumpers a day if you're Ben Simmons, right? If you want to get better. Well, hold on, hold on. I don't mean to interrupt, but Ben Simmons probably wasn't taking 500 jumpers. That's, but that's my point. So, oh, gotcha. You know, okay. <laughs> so what happens is, what happens is, Dan, if you're given things and you don't have that experience and you get to a level of when you're color commentating and you get to a CBS or you get to an ESPN, I've seen it. And there's still guys, I'm not going to call his name out, but there's still guys that are calling NCAA tournament games and they don't know what they're doing. And, you know, and it, it's kind of obvious. So um, I feel for them because I know, you know, I know some of them personally, but finding your voice is just like hooping. If you can't, if, if you're Iota Suman when you first came to Illinois, 
who played his rookie game last night with the Chicago Bulls. When he first got to Illinois, he couldn't wipe his behind with his left hand, let alone put it on the deck and get past anybody. By the time he got drafted, he's able to go left and right equally as strong because he had to work on it. So finding your voice, and, and Dan, let's be honest, man, when you and I first started even, and I'm much older than you, I didn't have a cell phone that I could turn around, practice, and post. Like, yeah. not just practice. I could practice and post it on social media, build a following, find people that like what you're having to talk about, and you get feedback. So today it's easier than ever, but it's all about reps. It's getting comfortable looking into that camera and being yourself and letting your, your knowledge and your wisdom come through. I love that breakdown. I'll share a quick story with you about my biggest struggle early in my broadcasting career. And I'd love to hear that if you had a similar one. So as I kind of start growing, I had a couple games for ESPNU and this was about six or seven years ago. And I'll admit I wasn't ready for a national broadcast just yet. Granted it's the U it's not ESPN two or or main ESPN. Mm -hmm. And the game was at San Diego state, which is, one of the best student sections across the country. Yep. And we had to do, I, I kept screwing up the open. I, I swear to you, I'm not joking. We probably did the open about seven times. And in my earpiece, I hear the producer, I, I, he probably tried to mute his mic so I couldn't hear it. He was so frustrated in the truck. And finally I heard, well, we just have to do it live. And so I like, as an athlete, you know, you work, you work, you work to be able to, perform in the moment finally i like i'm like well, i guess we got to go live i finally nailed it live it still wasn't great but it got me through better than any of the, the recorded reps do you have a, a similar story oh man uh, i'll tell you one where i wasn't a i wasn't a color commentator in this role i was actually a sports reporter here in chicago for cbs2 and if you know the local news side of being a sports reporter and sports anchor. These people work for years to get to a, a level like Chicago. This is a top three market. So that you're at the creme de la creme in that industry. You're talking sports, but there's a specific skill set of being a sports reporter. So Eddie Curry gets traded from the Chicago Bulls to the New York Knicks. I, I'm, I'm, fre- I'm, dude, I'm fresh in the business, wet behind the ears. They send me to the Bulls practice facility. I've got to do an open. You know, I've got to, you know, my, my uh, photographer and editor will cut the tape. Now I got to do a close. I went on air. I sucked to the point I was so bad that I'm going back home. And a guy calls me that's in the business. It's like, oh, Bardo, I didn't know you were on CBS, man. That's great. He said, dude, but you sucked. <laughs> And it hurt my feeling. It did. But the next day, the Stacey general manager says, Stephen, you've got a ton of potential. We see it, but you're raw. We're going to send you to Dallas to go get this training. So I went to Dallas for three days on the company's dime and worked with people to get my stand-ups, to get my transitions, to get my outtakes, all that stuff. It was just like hooping. And when I came back from that training, I was prepared to do the job. That training still helps me to today. But you're not alone, Dan. I, everybody sucks when it, it's like playing golf. When yeah. you first start playing, everybody sucks. 
You just got to get your reps. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, no, you, that, I love that. Everybody does suck until you get your reps. And that's in anything. That's any sport. That's right. Uh, that's any industry. Uh, there are very few outliers that are good from the start. You got to put your time in. Let's go back to your college playing career. Uh, played at the University of Illinois. I believe it was four NCAA tournaments. You played in a Final Four uh, with a team that was termed the Fly and Illini. I've got a lot of great memories from my time at Gonzaga. Give me some excitement or, or some memories of your time at Illinois. Well, it was interesting um, because I, I don't know if you remember when Michael Vick, he was using an alias name. His name was Ron Mexico. And so back in, back in the Flying Illini years, um, Kenny Battle, Nick Anderson, and Kendall Gill were so popular that when we went on the road that season, they had to put their names under an alias because there would be agents lurking around the hallways. There'd be ladies trying to come up, you know. So these dudes had aliases on the road when we were in the, in the hotels. Um, we, back, back, this, this you'll, you'll like this. The final four back in the day was in the old kingdom in Seattle. Okay. That's been, been torn down long ago, but it was 65,000. Yeah. Like that. I, I played a, a state tournament in high school in 97 there. Yep. Tremendous. Okay, so, you, yep. so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Great facility and just, just electrifying for college basketball final four. So we fly uh, to Seattle and there's a big, you know, when you come in the final four, when you arrive, they've got all these, all this stuff. Kendall gets off the plane and instead of getting on a T bus, he gets in a limo with two women and the limo follows the bus to, you know, to our hotel. But it was just like, what is going on? You know, it's like, we just had this rock star status. And so, you know, we were number one in the country at, at a brief period in that season. Dick Vitale named us the flying Alina. We had a lot of, we had a tremendous amount of buzz that year. And so the, the, the basketball stuff, you know, I've got great memories of the games, but I think the more, most colorful thing was the stuff that happened off the court and the, the dealings with uh, pro, uh, you know, pro scouts. They would put, they put a pro scout on our campus because we had a bunch of NBA prospects and, you know, I, I used to like to drink 40 ounces. I was an old English 800 fan <laughs> because it was, it fit my budget. It was a dollar five. I could get a 40 ounce of beer because I, I was a beer drinker in college. Still am. I got better taste. But Kendall told me, he said, Stephen, you need to have your girlfriend go get your beer because Kendall didn't drink and it still doesn't. But he, I said, what are you talking about? He said, man, the NBA has got a guy on our campus. He's going around interviewing these professors. They're interviewing people that we see all the time. He says, so man, you can't, you can't go get your liquor. You got to go have your girlfriend buy your 40 ounces. So people don't know about these things back then. So I think all those things off the court were way more colorful than some of the battles that we had on the court. Yeah. I can only imagine what the stories or, or the interest would have been like with social media nowadays, college oh, athletes. I mean, you literally have to live in a bubble with social media, with camera phones, people are waiting. Unfortunately, it's the day and age we're in. They're waiting for people that have success to slip up. Yep. Um, and, and that's disappointing. Was that the year that Michigan and Glenn, Glenn uh, Rice made that big run? So yep. the, 
the Big Ten was kind of at its heyday back then, if I'm mis- if I'm correct, right? You're right. That's right. So last year, Big Ten had uh, the most teams in the NCAA tournament. You cover the Big Ten as closely as anybody across the country. What was it last year that maybe skewed the selection committee to put that many Big Ten teams in? Or did it just happen to be that it was bad matchups for the Big Ten teams once they got to the NCAA tournament? You know, Dan, you're my man. So I'm going to tell you something that I really haven't shared on the air, but I'm going to share it with you today. And I'm going to be critical of the conference. And here's why. When you look at the Big Ten conference, the Big Ten has led the nation in attendance throughout last year due to the COVID situation. But when people can come into the venues, the Big Ten has led the country, any conference in the country, in attendance for 41 consecutive seasons. Wow. Think think about that for a second. So ACC gets a lot of love. Yeah. The old Big East got a lot of love, right? The Big 12 over the last decade has arguably been the best conference in the the country, in my opinion, year in, year out. Why is that? Because they have the most pros. They have the most future pros. And my formula for a college basketball team to be a Final Four contender or a national championship contender, you got to have three future pros. They don't all have to be NBA guys. They can be overseas guys as well. But if you don't have three future pros on your team, I don't care what the rankings say. I don't care what the hype is around the conference. The Big Ten was top to bottom, was the deepest conference in the country last year, and it wasn't close. Night in, night out, you just you just didn't have a break on the road. You couldn't say, I'm going to go to Nebraska and get a win, or I'm going to meet Northwestern and I'm going to get a win. You couldn't do it last year. And to a coach, they said they had never seen anything like that. But what happens is you get the national exposure from the media because the Big Ten has all this, you know, all this history and media coverage and, you know, fans and Twitter activity and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, the Pac-12 was the best conference last year, right? They USC, Oregon, UCLA. Oregon State, they they ran rush out over everybody because they had the most future pros. So the Big Ten has struggled in the last, since Michigan State won the national championship 21 years ago, the Big Ten has not been able to attract the number of future pros that the Big 12, the ACC, and the Pac-12 have been able to, uh, to attract. And so until the Big Ten can really deal and get the type of players like the SEC are getting now, future pros, then they'll have all this regular season publicity and love, but they're going to struggle when they get into the tournament because you got to have guys that make plays. When you go up against a North Texas State or a, a Missouri Valley team or West Coast Conference team, these are old teams. Besides Gonzaga, these are old teams because Gonzaga gets pros. Gonzaga is a, a, a top program in the country. They're an outlier. But these, these conferences that aren't Power 5 conferences, Dan, they got grown-ass men. These dudes can go get their own liquor. They, they've been through the wars. And when they get to the tournament, they're hungry. And so these coaches at these, some of these other levels, they can flat-out coach. 
And if they throw a wrinkle at you that you're not used to seeing, if you don't have guys that can go make plays, you're going to get upset in the tournament. And that's what we saw last year from the Big Ten. And honestly, for the last 20 years, the Big Ten has put teams in the Final Four, but they haven't gotten national championships because I think they've struggled to attract future pro prospects like Gonzaga, like Oregon, like USC, USC last year, um, like Kansas, Texas. The teams that are, are there year in, year out, Baylor, um, you know, Arkansas is coming on, Alabama's coming on because they got future pros. And that's what I think the Big Ten has struggled with. That is maybe the most unique and insightful breakdown that I've heard on that. And, and I can't argue differently against any of it. It makes a ton of sense. And I like that. With I, I, I subscribe to the fact that if you're going to be a good in college basketball, yes, you have to have future pros, but you have to have a blend of youthful experience that has the potential to grow as well as solid veteran experience to kind of guide you through difficult times. When you look at the Big Ten right now, what's the program that you're looking? Is it Purdue? Is it Michigan State? Is it Michigan with Hunter Dickinson back? Who's your favorite in the Big Ten this year? Well, at the beginning, I was thinking it was going to be Purdue. And I, I, I reluctantly still say that, but I think Illinois may be one of the deepest teams in the country. Um, you know, with Kofi Coburn coming back, uh, Andre Corbello is one of the most dynamic point guards in the country. And they've got old guys, uh, Trent Frazier, DeMonte Williams, 50-year seniors. Um, they've got transfers in Omar Payne, who is a 6'10", really long athletic rim runner. He's not really a scorer, but he's a defensive presence that can run, rim run, uh, alley-oop dunk like crazy. Then they got uh, Plummer, who was a, a, a guard at Utah that averaged double figures. He can shoot it from the parking lot. And I haven't talked about Coleman Hawkins and all these other guys. So I think at the beginning of the year, I would pick Purdue to win the regular season conference championship. But I think uh, the team that has the best possibility to make the deepest run in the NCAA tournament, even over Michigan, is I, I would pick Illinois. Interesting. Wow. You know, I think a lot of people are excited about Coburn coming back. People are probably hesitant because uh, DeSumo uh, decided to stay in the NBA draft and, and good for him. He's with his hometown Chicago Bulls. Um, but another question is in regards to the Big Ten, because you follow it so closely, Indiana was a blue blood program for so many years. When I was growing up, it was Indiana. It was Bobby Knight. Yep. Obviously, that has changed. They've had some ups and downs. Mike Woodson was a unique hire. NBA experience and good NBA experience at that. Is that going to be a worthwhile hire for Indiana? Or are they going to become relevant again? Because I think, yes, it's great that, and I love it that Gonzaga's back. I love that Texas Tech has made different runs and different stuff. But college basketball is fun when at least Duke, North Carolina, Indiana, UCLA are, are relevant. And then you can kind of sprinkle in the upstarts for the year. What are your thoughts on the Indiana? You know what, Dan, you're, you're, you're pretty insightful because um, that's exactly why they brought Mike Woodson back to Indiana. I, and this is only my opinion. When Jawan Howard got hired to Michigan, it signaled a change in the Big Ten Conference that you better go get guys who can recruit ballers, 
So if you saw Michigan's recruiting class yeah. outside of Gonzaga, they had the best recruiting class in the country. They had three McDonald's All-Americans as freshmen. Um, Caleb Houston is a projected first-round draft pick in, in next year's draft. So with Mike Woodson coming to, to Indiana, not only do you bring in that, that tradition and culture that you mentioned that used to be there, you have a guy that's got 30 years experience in the NBA, and he's a guy that will come in and electrify that fan base to the point where Indiana may have the best NIL package for their players and future players than anybody in the country right now. Not a lot of people know that. And so Indiana recognized that they needed to get back to being a blue blood program. Mike Woodson's doing that. And the thing is, Dan, Indiana's going to be the surprise team in the league this year. A lot of people think that they could be top three, four teams in the league and, and have a deep run. They've got Xavier Johnson, who's a, a transfer guard from Pittsburgh, physical, fast, aggressive, strong. They've got Parker Stewart, who is a, a transfer from UT Martin. I don't know if you remember. His father was the head coach at UT Martin and died suddenly. I don't know exactly what from. I don't think it was COVID, but he, he passed away suddenly. So Parker transferred to Indiana. He was a 15-point-a-night scorer. He can fill it up. Tamar Bates was a, a really highly, I think he was the number one recruit in Indiana, and he's a dynamic young player. He's got, you know, he's rough around the edges, but has potential to possibly be a pro. They've got Trace Jackson Davis, one of the best bigs in the country. Race Thompson, one of the best glue guys in the country. And they've got a, a bunch of sophomores who got really good experience last year. So a lot of people think that Indiana could be the surprise team out of the Big Ten. So uh, that's pretty astute of you to pick up on that. Well, I, I'm pulling for them. You know, I, obviously, I I was never coached by Mike Woodson in the NBA, but uh, we've met a couple of different times. And, and I, I'm not the kind of guy or the analyst that's rooting against anybody. In particular, you know, uh, going into what I would deem a tough situation at Indiana because of the expectations. Uh, last question, Stephen, before I let you go, and, and I'd love to get you back maybe during the middle of the college basketball season and break things down again. But um, you, got me, you got me anytime, Dan. You know that. Sounds great. Well, we'll definitely do it. But you've got a unique secondary gig. You're a motivational speaker, and you also have authored two books. Tell me about where that passion came from, because I will tell you this. I struggle writing notes down, getting ready for my broadcast and keeping everything straight. There is no way I could write a book. Dan, uh, every human being walking the face of the planet has at least two books in them. <laughs> what, I mean, what I mean by that is your struggle and your vulnerability and your knowledge, all those things put together, there are people that you can affect their lives like you would not believe. And everybody, you know this, Dan, because everybody has a story. When you dig deep onto these college players, and if you go deep enough, all of them have a unique twist that can be very entertaining, can be very in, in, insightful for some people and very motivational for other people. People have overcome certain things or they, they were raised by their grandmother who, who you know, had some health issues and, were, you know, and got instilled all this principle. My dad was a, is a retired college professor. He went into administration. He was interim athletic director at SIU twice. 
He was a faculty representative for 36 years. He'd been on numerous boards at the NCAA. He's an educator by trade. So I'm a lot like my father. So I like to impart wisdom on younger people. So the books was a creative outlet. The two books that I've authored, self-published, which by the way, is not very hard to do. I could show you very easily how you can come out with your own book, Dan, in about a month and you'd be very surprised at the quality. So it's it's really not hard to do. It's just that a lot of people think that it's, it's this huge thing. It's really not. But my main passion is to help basketball players like me and you, uh, women and men, understand that this media space is huge and there's a ton of opportunity in it from a network level, from a regional level, from a local level, from a podcast level, from a digital show level. There's so many things that you can get into. And I have a ton of knowledge. I've called every level of the game that you can call, every level. And so it's my duty as an educator to give some of that back, especially to young African-American players and uh, young ladies and young men who may not have the network that some other people have that they can tap into. We may not have the network. So I'm trying to develop all those things. So I have a, a, a tremendous passion to serve young people in, you know, through books, through motivational speaking, through some of the posts that I do on TikTok and other places, just giving free game is what I call it. So I, that's something that I'm very passionate about. And that is something that I would hope to transition into if, you know, the networks decide that I'm no longer any good because, you know, it may sound weird, but Doug Gottlieb was the flavor of the month not long ago. And, you know, he, I I haven't seen him on a whole lot of games anymore. Doug Gottlieb knows the game. So to me, that's a cautionary tale that yes, dive into this business really well, but you also, you always got to have a plan B. And so my plan B would be to really help young people understand and really take advantage of this media space. Awesome. Well, I love the knowledge. I love the servanthood kind of leadership that it sounds like you're uh, providing to a number of people. Thanks again for joining. And and I am going to take you up on uh, rejoining the ISO uh, once we get into the heart of college basketball season. Uh, It's been a long time since you and I talked. Um, I think it was Gonzaga hosted, I believe it was Michigan State or Illinois in Spokane. Uh, I saw you at the shoot-around. I saw you during the game. And I might have even saw you at Jack and Dan's afterwards. I don't know. I I think you're right. There might have been a couple of beers involved. So Absolutely. Well, thanks again for joining. Take care and safe travels throughout the Big Ten landscape this season. All right. Thanks a lot, Dan, for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.